You are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone, it's Aileen and welcome to episode 52 of The Music Room. I'm entitling this episode, If We Can't Do X, Then Let's Do Y. This is all about different possibilities for distance learning in the music room in the fall, which I'll get more into in just a minute. First, I want to apologize. I know it's been a while since I did a new episode, but you know, life has been a little bit crazy. And in between this episode and episode 51, I actually did a podcast episode with Carrie and Tanya from Music Teacher Coffee Talk, and Katie joined me as well. And we talked about closure during distance learning. So if you're looking for like end of the year music room ideas, then make sure you check that out. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes, which you can find by going to mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com forward slash podcast, and then find episode 52. And I also want to mention that this will be my last episode for a while. I'm thinking for at least a month, maybe even two months. And the reason why is I usually do take a little bit of a break in the summer and because everything is so up in the air right now about what's going to happen in the fall and what it might look like for you might be different than what it looks like for me. So I'm going to take a break until I know more. Once I know more, then I will start podcasting again to give you ideas for different scenarios. A couple other things that I want to mention, Nissa Brown has been doing a webinar about fall 2020 and beyond and what it might look like in the music room. And it's really, really helpful. By the time I post this podcast, the webinar series will be done, but she also has a course about fall 2020 and beyond. So I will link to her page just so you can see. I don't know if she's going to be releasing the webinar itself, like a recording of it and information about the course as well, because both of them I think will be really helpful. And then also I actually just started listening to the latest podcast episode by Jennifer Gonzalez of Cult of Pedagogy. I love her podcast. It's really outstanding. And she is talking kind of more like from a classroom teacher perspective about what the fall might look like. But I can tell from what I've listened to so far, it's really informative and helpful. So I suggest listening to that as well. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well. All right. So the title, like I said, is if we can't do X, then let's do Y. And the reason I chose this title is I think that there are so many possibilities right now about what the fall might look like. And, you know, we're hearing about there are some things that we may not be able to do or we definitely won't be able to do. So if we can't do those things, what can we do instead? So I'm going to just go through a bunch of different If we can't do X, then let's do Y and give you some solutions. I know that when all of this first became a reality that fall is going to look a lot different, I was having a lot of anxiety about like, when are we going to find out and what is that going to look like? And I was getting pretty overwhelmed by it until I decided, you know what, like there are some things that I know and I just have to focus on what I know because I might not know what my actual scenario looks like until July and maybe even late July. Like I don't, you know, I don't really know if I'll know all of the details for a while now. So I think if we can focus on here's what we know and then here are some things to think about or things to consider, I think that can kind of help us all calm down a little bit. All right, so the first one is, if we can't sing at school, then 
Let's Sing at Home. So you probably have seen the press release or the information from ACDA, the American Choral Directors Association, about how singing spreads aerosols, can spread the virus. And for those of us, really all of us, right, who love to sing, and uh, singing is a big part of our music classrooms, to hear that we're not going to be able to sing is alarming and heartbreaking, to be honest, right? So what I mean by if we can't sing at school, then let's sing at home, is if you are in the fall, if you're in a blended learning or distance learning situation, what I mean by that is like if part of the time kids are doing your music lessons at home or if they're doing your music lessons at home all of the time, then they could still sing at home because they are going to be at home with their families and then it's perfectly safe. So in that situation, you can still actively make music with kids because they are at home safe with their parents. And we'll talk about different scenarios in a minute. So this could mean like you have videos of yourself singing where you're recording yourself singing a song that they know or whatever, and you're inviting them to sing along. You could also find videos of other people singing and they sing along with those. You could also video conference where you would tell them to put their mics on mute because otherwise I've tried it with band and it's really not, <laughs> it doesn't sound great to have everyone play together, right? So singing is going to be the same kind of thing. It's going to be a hot mess if you try to have everyone sing with their mics on, but in a video conference, you could ask them to all mute themselves and you sing and they sing along with you. So that is what you could do if you're in, like I said, a blended learning or distance learning situation. All right, so the next one is if we can't sing at school, then let's hum or inner sing. So this would be for an in-person situation. So if you're in person with the kids delivering the music lessons that way, then actually my friend Megan was the one who suggested humming. I would think that that would work. You might want to check with your administrator just to make sure that he or she thinks that's okay. But I would think because with humming, the student has their mouth closed they could still get a sense of the melodic contour and you could get a sense of do they understand the melodic contour, right? So they could hum along with you as you sing the lyrics, although we'll talk about you singing in person in a minute as well. And then inner sing could be they're listening to you sing and they're singing inside their heads, which look, I realize that is not optimal. That's not the best case scenario, but we kind of have to go with what we can do, right? So of course, the best case scenario is that they are singing along with you. And I think when all of this is said and done, we are going to be so excited to actually be singing with our kids again. But if we can't sing with our kids, then, you know, we do want them to develop their inner hearing skills. So we could have them inner hear as they listen to us sing. So if you're wondering, well, what if I can't sing? Which I've thought about that as well, because one person singing is probably somewhat dangerous too. I don't want to be spreading aerosols into the air that could potentially infect anybody if I had the coronavirus and didn't know. So you could actually like record yourself at home singing or in your classroom or whatever. So you could have them watch you sing. And as they're watching you sing, they're humming or they're inner singing along. And maybe you are allowed to sing if you're the only person. I don't know. There are so many different scenarios. I'm just trying to give you options for all of the different scenarios. Okay, so that's if we can't sing at school, then let's hum or inner sing. The next one is if we can't play instruments at school, then let's play instruments at home. 
So this again could work in a blended learning or distance learning situation. If students have instruments like ukuleles or recorders, or if you teach band like I do, if they have their saxophone or their flute at home, you could also have them create their own instruments, right? With like household materials. So if they are doing your music lessons in a distance learning or blended learning situation and they're watching the lesson or they're video conferencing with you or whatever, then they could still be playing the instrument because they would be home with their family and they wouldn't have to worry about disinfecting or cleaning or anything like that. And you could have videos of you guiding them along with their instrument playing. You could do Flipgrid, which is such an awesome tool. I know I've talked about that before, but let's say they have a recorder at home and you ask them to play hot cross buns, they could put that into Flipgrid and then you could do a video message back to let them know what they could improve or how they sounded or whatever. And again, like we talked about with singing, you could also do a video conference. And, and I did do that with band. Uh, my school year is actually over at this point. My last day was just a couple days ago. But in the last couple weeks of school, we did do some video conferencing with band where, again, I had them mute themselves and they played along with me playing the flute. So that could be an option if they are at home. All right, so the next scenario is if we can't share instruments at school, then let's disinfect and limit. So what I mean by this is if we are in-person learning with students and you want to play instruments, I do think that some instruments are going to work better than others. Like I would think that mallets would be pretty easy to disinfect. I would think that, you know, like non-pitch percussion would be pretty easy to disinfect as well. But definitely you'd want to research the best way to disinfect those instruments. I even have heard, I think it was in a Facebook group, someone was talking about getting a UV cleaning cabinet or something like that, which is definitely worth looking into because then maybe you could just like pop it in there and after a certain amount of time you could take it out and everything's clean, which is really great. You would definitely want to disinfect after each use, no matter how you are disinfecting, whether you're using a cabinet or a spray or whatever. As far as limiting goes, you might want to plan for only using one instrument a day with each grade level. My schedule, this would actually work pretty well with because I only have like one second grade a day, one fifth grade a day because I have every single grade level every single day. But my schedule hasn't always been like that. But let's say you have a schedule like mine with blocks like that. You might decide, okay, second graders are playing rhythm sticks. No other grade level is playing them that day. And then at the end of the day, you'd be able to disinfect, especially if you don't have time between classes. That can be pretty tricky. And I've often heard the scenario that if you are at school doing in-person learning, you will likely have to travel to the teacher's classroom to teach music because that way those classes aren't moving through the building and they're staying in one space. If you haven't heard that yet, I'm sorry if I am the bringer of bad news or the bearer of bad news there. That's just something that I've heard talked about pretty often. But if you're only using, you know, rhythm sticks with second grade, then you might be able to put them somewhere after they're done and then disinfect later or however you want to do it. And you could still be doing instruments with other grade levels in the day, but maybe you might do hand drums with third grade. But let's say you have a schedule where you have like two third grades in a row, then you're going to have to think through that. Like maybe you only play these hand drums 
with this third grade class and then the other half of your set with the other third grade class or something like that. So I would just definitely plan ahead there. All right, the next scenario is if we can't hold hands at school, then let's adapt our games. So as music teachers, we often have lots of singing games that involve A, singing, which we likely can't do right now, and B, hand-holding, which is not a smart idea either. So you might be thinking, well, how am I going to play singing games? Well, I think it's possible to still play games, whether or not they're actually singing is another question. But something that I actually learned from Joni Littman, who was my level three instructor at Capital University for my Kodai program, and I worked with her last school year, not this school year, but the one before that, with the OAKE conference, she came and taught one of my fourth grade classes and then used them as a demo class, which was such a great experience for them and for me. I mean, something that she did with them that I thought was so cool was she asked them how to adapt a game. So like they learned the song Black Snake and learned the game with it. And then she asked them, well, how else could we play this? Which is such a great question. I mean, you think about all of the singing games that we know, And how we've been taught like, oh, well, this is the way that you play the game. But at some point, someone made that up and it was likely a kid, right? And we have heard of several different games with different songs. You know, you might have like three different games that you've heard of for We Are Dancing and maybe you just stay with that one game. But it's really good for kids to think through how else could we play this and to create their own way so that they really have ownership. So in this situation, I think it could be a really powerful thing to say, let's go with, you know, we are dancing. Now, second graders, usually when we play this game, we stand in a tight circle and we hold hands and we try to chase each other. You know, these are all the things that we can do, but we know that we shouldn't be hand holding. We're supposed to be saying six feet apart. We can't be singing, you know, that kind of thing. How else could we play this game? Let's think about the lyrics of this song. What else could we do so that we're following our guidelines and we're being safe, but we could still have fun with this, right? Again, I know this is not ideal, but if we can have our kids have some ownership in how they might create a game or play a game differently so that they can still have fun with it, then that's great. It just, it kind of breaks my heart thinking about kids just like sitting at desks all day and, you know, not singing and not moving and not playing. Obviously they can go outside to recess, but there's guidelines there too, probably. So if we can inject some fun into this, that would be great. And if they have ownership, even better. The game that they come up with for We Are Dancing or whatever is probably going to look way different, but they've made it up right? So I think there's a lot of empowerment there. All right, the next scenario is if we can't move at school, then let's move at home. So this would work again in a blended learning or distance learning situation in which kids are getting their music lessons at home. For sure, they could move creatively to music because they're at home in their own environment and they don't have to worry about any space. You could have videos of you doing the creative movement or you doing choreographed movement, whatever one you're doing, and inviting students to move with you. So that's still totally doable. It's just that they're doing it at home in front of a computer instead of in person with all of their peers. So the next one would be for an in-person learning situation. If we can't move at school, then let's write about our response. 
I should say, I think there are some instances in which they could move at school if you're being really safe. For example, I just saw a video actually that Joni Littman posted in like the Kodai Educators Group or something like that. She posted a folk dance where kids had very specific places to stand. I think they had like sticks in front of them or something like that, where it was like very clear, this is where my spot is. And the sticks actually helped them learn the dance. Like they had to do a certain sequence in the sticks and then they moved a different direction and did the sequence again. But if you were able to measure that out, I'll post that dance video in the show notes so you can see it. And I'm sure there are other dances that are like that, that kids could do if they have a very specific space. They're not moving through the room, but they're moving in their own spot. They should still be able to do that, I would think. Again, all of this that I'm telling you, like, obviously, I'm not a doctor. And if you're unsure about any of the scenarios that you want to try, I would definitely talk to your administrator about it. But I would think if you're spread out, especially outside, I've heard is even better, right? But if you're spread out, they have their specific spot and they do a sequence movement, then I think that should work. But if it's been deemed they can't move at all or you're looking for other options besides moving creatively, then instead of doing folk dances or whatever, I would suggest students could watch videos of folk dancing and discuss or write about what they've seen. I think this could actually be really cool because so often we're just like doing, doing, doing the folk dances, but we don't stop and look at what does this look like? Even better if you could get like an aerial view of, you know, like I've seen that with square dancing videos. Like what does it look like from above? It actually looks really cool, right? Or this long way set dance, what does that actually look like when other people are doing it? Because so often we're just doing it and I don't think they're always understanding what it looks like from a distance when they're not immersed in it, right? So I think you could still teach a lot about folk dance by having them watch a video of the folk dance. And then you could even, again, kind of like with the games, well, there are certain aspects of this that we wouldn't be able to do if we tried it, but what could we change so that we could do something with this folk dance or we could do something similar, tweak it somehow. And then you could also have students listen to music and instead of moving creatively to it, you could have them write about their response. And this could be done in a variety of ways. If they're in person with you, they could handwrite something like on a worksheet. You could use something like Nearpod, which is my new favorite tech platform, where they watch a YouTube video, let's say, of a piece of music or whatever, and then you ask an open-ended question like, what did you think about that piece of music? Or what did you notice? Or something like that. What instruments did you hear? I've also done something just like that with Pear Deck, where I had them like circling the moods that they thought the music sound like or whatever. And then, you know, what did you notice about the piece of music? Anything like that. So there's still a lot of really great things that can be done musically without actually moving. But there are some creative solutions that I think you could do to still get kids up and moving. All right, so the next scenario is, if we can't teach our typical lessons, then let's think outside the box. Like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, I highly recommend Nissa Brown as a resource, but she's got some courses that are coming out, one course in particular about what fall 2020 will look like. I actually enrolled in it. It was a really great deal, and she has so much expertise in music education and has a great perspective working with teachers from all over the world. 
But as far as other things that you could try, project-based learning would be great if you have dipped your toes into that at all. This could be a great opportunity to do some PBL. I actually have been doing a Symphony of the Orchestra PBL with my fourth graders and typically would do it a little bit later in the year. But this year, I'm actually thinking about putting it in like the late fall, early winter, because I'm thinking at that point, it's still going to look different. So it would be a good time to do it. And uh, I can link to that in the show notes if you're interested. I have it in my TPT store, but it's where they decide a theme for their symphony orchestra program and they listen to a bunch of different videos once they have their theme and decide what is going to be on their program or on their concert. And then they get to create a symphony orchestra program, like a printed program that they could, you know, have at the concert venue or whatever. So it's a really fun PBL and I think I'm going to try that a little bit earlier in the year. You could also have themed lessons with other teachers. So like you could collaborate with your art teacher or your PE teacher to do a lesson together. I actually heard that idea from someone else. I think it was in my Facebook group. And I really loved that idea because you probably have had that experience of much lower participation in our distance learning lessons. But if you put the art and music together, I think the chances of completion will be a lot higher because instead of having to do two separate lessons, they're just doing one lesson. I think it would be a great combination to do like music and PE together, music and art together, something like that. And of course, you would have to have a good collaborative relationship with that other teacher. The example that I heard, I think I said in my Facebook group, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who said it, but she was talking about doing something with like Kandinsky because Chrome Music Lab has a really awesome Kandinsky game within it. So the art teacher was doing like a Kandinsky project after the students played with the Kandinsky Chrome Music Lab or something like that. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it's something like that. Or like I could see something with your PE teacher where maybe they do some ball bouncing singing games, especially if they're at home and they can sing, right? Or something like Plainsies Clapsies that really takes some hand-eye coordination. So after you do your Plainsies Clapsies or something like that, then the PE teacher could do a little bit of something else involving beanbags or something like that. So there's a lot of possibilities there. I've also thought about doing some themed lessons In general, this is not something that I typically do. A typical music lesson when we are in person, I often will have, you know, a rhythmic chunk to it, a melodic chunk to it, and some other things like folk dances or or whatever instruments. There's a lot going on in one lesson, and you've probably noticed that our distance learning lessons have to be a little bit shorter. What that's going to look like in the fall if we're in person, I don't know. But anyway, I think that I'm going to try especially for like distance learning, or even I think if we're in person, I could deliver it if everybody had their own Chromebook or whatever, to have like a lesson all about patriotic music, for example, for Veterans Day, where they learn a song or maybe they do a listening, especially if they can't sing, they do a listening lesson for like America the Beautiful or something like that, or Charles Ives what is that, like variations on America or whatever that's called, something like that, right, where it's a patriotic piece of music or some kind of patriotic lesson. And then I actually just saw this on CBS Sunday morning. This morning, they have like a virtual tour for the Statue of Liberty going on right now, which they were able to record all these different shots because nobody's visiting the Statue of Liberty right now. So they were talking about how like 
with this virtual tour, you can actually see parts of the Statue of Liberty that you normally wouldn't be able to see if you were there in person. So I thought, oh, that would be really cool if you had like, you know, some kind of like patriotic music and then, okay, now take this virtual tour of the Statue of Liberty. That's not like anything I've ever done in my music class before, but I think in this case it would work really well. Or I've also thought about doing like a themed lesson all about a certain country. So like I have my country of the month sets that I collaborated on with Katie that are in my TPT store and I can link to those. So something like that could work really well where like they listen to a bunch of instruments from that country and they learn a little bit about that country. I thought about putting something together for like Australia where I sing a book to them. Like I have a book that I actually bought in Australia called Somewhere in Australia that's like over in the meadow, but it's all about Australia. So I could do like a read along where they listen to me sing and then maybe teach them kookaburra and then maybe do highway number one. And this would be, like I said, if we were all at home getting the lesson, if we are in person, I would probably have to adapt that a little bit. And then maybe they listen to music from Australia. Like maybe they could listen to the didgeridoo and then write about their response to it. These are just thoughts that I'm having. I thought about having like one for Ghana as well, where like maybe I could do something musical with one of the Anansi books because those are from Ghana, I believe. And then maybe we could learn 2A2A, which is from Ghana. And, you know, like it kind of just going off of that theme and you could even split it up into more than one lesson. But that would be a really nice way to kind of do a deeper dive than maybe you're able to do in a typical lesson because we're trying to put so much in in so much variety. I think with distance learning, sometimes it works best to kind of stay with one concept the whole time, especially when you're making the lessons shorter. So they're just some ideas, just kind of thinking outside the box. When I first started this process of like trying to convert my typical lessons to distance learning lessons, I was looking at my typical lessons and thinking like, okay, how can I make this into a distance learning lesson, which I think can work. I think that can work, but I think I'm not always going to do that. I think some of my lessons, they're just going to look different. You know, they might have concepts that I would be wanting to teach, but they're just going to look different because it's a different scenario, you know? All right. And then the last one I have here is if we can't see students in person, then let's build relationships online. So I was able to do some video conferencing this year. I'm sure many of you have as well. And maybe you did some synchronous lessons where you were actually delivering the lessons online, or maybe you were doing an asynchronous lesson. But video conferencing is great for that relationship building because even though kids are probably like zoomed out at this point, and you probably are too, it is nice to see people's faces. Flipgrid can also be a great relationship builder. Even if you are just asking a silly question just to get to know your kids better, I think it can be great. And then even just reaching out to them through whatever like learning management system you're using or LMS. Like in my district, we use Schoology. Maybe you use Google Classroom. Maybe you use Seesaw, like whatever platform you're using to deliver your lessons a lot of times there's like a messaging feature, right? So this year I was trying to encourage participation in my music lessons because it was at first it was pretty low and, and it did increase. And I actually have a blog post about encouraging participation in music 
distance learning lessons that I can link to. But anyway, so one of the ways that I encouraged participation was just to send a, it was like a mass email to all my third graders, for example, that was like, hey, third graders, I miss you. Here's what is in this week's music lesson. Here's how you find it. That kind of thing. Well, I had several students write me back and say things like, I miss you so much. I hope you're doing well, which was so, so nice to hear. Really sad, but nice, you know. But like one of my students who really like, you know, she was always sweet to me, but didn't really like engage in a lot of conversation with me when we were in person. But she started sending me messages over Schoology. And it's funny because the first message she sent, she was singing along with a song, but she asked Alexa to play the song for her. And so I have an Alexa in my room. So every time she she couldn't get it to work. So she kept saying, Alexa, play whatever song it was. And my Alexa would light up. (laughs) And (laughs) my Alexa just started going off. Alexa, stop. (laughs) I need to stop saying her name. So it was that was just really funny to watch. Mine kept going off. But anyway, you know, I responded to that. Then she recorded another video and she was singing something else. And then she showed me her ukulele and she asked if I would give her some help. So I recorded a video back and showed her how to play the C major chord because she's in third grade. So she doesn't, we're not playing ukulele yet in third grade. And it also sent her like a ukulele tuning website so she could tune it up. So it's been a fun way to connect with a kid, like I said, who typically I didn't have a lot of interaction with before besides obviously teaching her music. She wasn't like reaching out to me like that, but now she is. So I think, you know, and kids and adults are craving that one-on-one interaction. So whatever you can do to build that up so that we can get through this is great. All right. So those are all the scenarios that I could think of. Like I said, once I know more about what's happening next school year. I will definitely blog and podcast about it. I should also mention too that I am creating a Tech for Music Teachers course right now that I plan on launching June 8th is when it will be on sale. So if you want to sign up for notifications so that you can receive an email once it goes on sale, then you can head on over to techformusicteachers.com and you can sign up there. We're going to dive into a bunch of stuff. I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about Google Slides and Google Docs and Pear Deck and Nearpod and Edpuzzle and Google Forms and also productivity tools. So a lot of it will be like, here's how you can use it with distance learning, but here's how you could also use it with in-person learning. And here's how you can be more productive and here's how you can choose which platforms or which tools work best for you. So yeah, I'm really excited. So like I said, if you head on over to techformusicteachers.com, you can sign up for the waitlist there. All right. So I'd like to talk about what I'm consuming. All right. So my husband, Scott, and I just started watching a show called Upload, which you can find on Amazon Prime if you have that. Actually, we're already done with the first season and I don't think there's a second season yet. So they're only, I want to say the episodes are maybe like half an hour long. I think most of them are pretty short and it is pretty lighthearted. The premise is when you die, instead of just dying, 
and whatever else might happen after that, you can choose to upload yourself to like this other world kind of thing where people who have died can go to. That's all I'll tell you because I don't want to spoil anything, but that's the premise and it's kind of a drama, but it really is more lighthearted than dramatic. And, you know, in these times we need something fun and lighthearted to watch. So we've really enjoyed it. All right. So thank you so much for listening to today's podcast episode. Like I said, I will be back in a month or two once we know more about what's going on in the fall. I hope that you take this summer to enjoy your family and to celebrate what you accomplished this spring because this was new for all of us and the fact that we all got through it is spectacular I think because we really were just thrown in without any warning so please make sure that you reward yourself for doing an awesome job and even though we don't know at this point what's going to happen in the fall, I hope, like I said earlier, that you're able to just focus on what you do know and try to make some tentative plans from there. Have a wonderful day.